Welcome to A Pair of Bookends, the book club you can carry anywhere. We are your hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals. I'm Hannah MacDonald. And I'm Lydia Clare. Welcome back, bookends, to a special bonus episode where we will be discussing the breathtaking new novel, Second Self, a novel about confronting expectations and learning to cope with the nagging, complex questions that shape a life. Meet Kathy, a woman who never saw children as part of her future, only now she's not so sure. Discover about the minds and bodies at the mercy of natural forces and societal pressures and read this ode to motherhood, marriage and choice. Chloe Ashby is an author and award-winning arts journalist. Since graduating from the Cattard Institute of Arts, she has written for publications such as The Times, TLS, Guardian, FT Life and Arts, Spectator and Freeze. She's the author of four books, Look at This If You Love Great Art, published in 2021, Colours of Art, the story of art in 80 palettes, which was published in 2022 and was also a Times Best Book of 2022. And her debut novel, Wet Paint, which was published last year to wide acclaim. Her second novel, Second Self, is out in July and we are so excited to chat to Chloe today. So Chloe, welcome to A Pair of Bookends. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh well thank you for coming on we're so excited to speak to you I actually like I'm like (gasps) too excited (laughs) I'm gonna get told to calm down by Hannah now I know for a fact Um, no I love it (laughs) (laughs) we always love to open the podcast by asking you what you are currently reading yes so uh, there's a book that I've just started reading if I can do that I'm really enjoying it so far so I feel confident recommending it It's called Art Monsters and it's by Lauren Elkin and it's out next month, I think mid next month. And it's just a brilliantly researched and written book about art and the body. So also kind of relevant maybe to today's discussion, Mm. in particular, the way that feminist artists have used their bodies in creative and subversive ways. And yeah, Lauren just writes so wonderfully about art and literature and culture. So I have high hopes for the rest of the book. I love oh, wow. that. Sounds actually amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think it's also got a great cover, which you know we sh- shouldn't shouldn't affect our decision when picking a book up, but always does. Doesn't it? No, oh, it, always it does. totally does. Everyone's a liar. Let me tell you, everyone like they're like, oh, I don't touch a book, right? Yeah, you do. I do. Yeah, you do. Come on. <laughs> I do too. But I mean, speaking of covers, your I mean, both Wet Pain and Second Self. I was honestly drawn to Wet paint by seeing the cover in a bookshop that is how I came to get hold of it because oh, I saw so nice. I saw the cover and I was like I just love it I think there's a lot of there's there's a lot of covers with you know women in precarious positions and like images of women and of women's faces and I was just drawn straight away to yours because it's like a woman covering her face and it's quite blurred and just like the colors of it were like sort of reds and oranges and mm. straight away I saw it and I was like okay I need to know what this is about and picked it up read the blurb and of course it then came home with me but I will happily hold my hands up and say like I love a cover and I'm very much drawn in by covers and second self do you want to describe the cover to our listeners yes I've actually just today no sorry yesterday got my hands on a finished copy my author copies are in the post so you've got one um my 
that's going to sound weird, isn't it? That I just said that because people can't see us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, holding up books. Yeah, <laughs> Hannah just held up her book, which is why I just squealed. So it's kind of a pale, peachy colour, and there's a black and white photograph of a woman on the cover, sort of peering into a glass of water. So there's her face and then there's the reflection of her face. And then there's this sort of peachy strip down the middle. I never, I don't know about you two, but I never like to see exactly what a character looks like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to be to be told exactly what a character looks like from the cover. So this felt like a kind of a happy balance of getting yeah. a glimpse of her and also, you know, the, the kind of double image going well with the title but without yeah. telling you exactly yeah, who she is and, and about her appearance. The very clever yeah. cover, because it gives you that sort of like jarring sense of self. And I think you, you've you also got that with wet paint in how, you know, her face is covered on the cover and she's, I don't really know how to describe Eve. <laughs> she's a very memorable character that I will probably think about forever. Oh. But she is very she's sort of living in her own head isn't she Mm. and and I think that's why the cover is so great because it's just like she's hiding from the world as much as possible while she sort of comes to terms with her own issues and her own trauma now Mm. I was curious because we have spoken to authors on the podcast before about about covers and our obsession with certain book cover designs but previous authors have said that they didn't have very much input with with the design but I was curious because of your background in art did you have more input than others might or (laughs) so I with wet paint I got very lucky I think and the cover came to me looking pretty much exactly as it looks now you know to the extent that I was worrying that I didn't have an opinion and I started to think (laughs) oh is the font not quite right like what can I say (laughs) but it like you said I think it captures so perfectly the fact that Eve is so in her head and there are moments you know there are moments in the book there's there's one scene where I think it's when she's with Max and she's naked and then she covers her face Mm -hmm. and it just, it felt so appropriate for so many reasons. With Second Self, I did have a few more changes. Hopefully I'm now not going to sound like a really um, picky author. <laughs> but, you know, uh, someone on the team found this image, which was wonderful. But initially there wasn't that strip down the middle. So you could see her entire face. And mm. it was just, it was just slightly too much for me. So I sort of asked how we could get around and still keep the image because I thought the image itself worked so well. Mm-hmm. And we also played around with different colours so this one was much more of a conversation and I think I've been very lucky to work with a team who are kind of open to thoughts I'm not sure how how it works in other publishing houses but yeah they were very receptive to my feedback which was nice now just to delve a little bit deeper into Second Self could you tell our listeners a little bit more about Second Self and what the sort of seeds of of inspiration for Second Self were and, and how it kind of grew into a novel yeah so Second Self follows a couple called Kathy and Noah and they met 10 years ago they've been married for eight years they are very happily married they're very much in love 
when they first met, Noah said to Kathy, I don't imagine children in my future. And she, at the time, I think was 25 and sort of laughed along and said, well, you know, neither do I. I'm not exactly yearning for motherhood. And now, for various reasons, she's beginning to wonder whether one day she might want a child. So it's not that she has suddenly changed her mind and that she suddenly wants children. It's more that she's, I think it's partly the fear of regret. She's thinking ahead. Her relationship with her mother is changing, which I think is making her naturally sort of curious about what she might be like as a mother. She misses a period and she doesn't panic. And that makes her think, okay, what does that mean? The fact that I'm not panicking. So the book really follows her as it's almost as her body threatens to cheat her marriage. You know, she she so wants to stay with Noah, but if she wants a child, then she can't stay with him because he is dead set against it for various reasons that kind of come out in the book and at the same time she is working in conservation in in a museum and she's kind of peeling back the layers on a painting and thinking away that artworks change over time as well so that's that's sort of a bit of a blurb of the book and it really came from me in a way I at the time I wrote it I was I just turned 30 I just got married and it was just sort of the age and a time of my life where I was surrounded by if not babies and pregnancy then then talk of babies and pregnancy and I was beginning to together with my boyfriend who then became my my husband you know talk very seriously about whether we wanted to have a child and if so when and I think it was always one of those things that I had kind of you know assumed would happen because you know, in a slightly old fashioned way, you know, in a, in a sort of, oh, that's what will happen. That's how it works kind of way. But obviously, it is such a big decision, possibly the biggest decision someone can ever make. And I wanted to give it, you know, enough kind of thought and consideration. And, and from that, I then started to think, well, wow, how much harder would this decision be if two people felt differently? And the book kind of spiraled from there. So that was a very long answer. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, I love hearing about you know how inspiration comes to people and I think you know me and Lydia have spoken many times about these sorts of topics and I just found this to be such a, a moving reading experience you know I felt very mm. it was very emotional for me reading this you know I'm I'm 28 now and I've been with my boyfriend now for five years and we often get asked to like oh when are you guys gonna have children you know that's our parents will say it like oh you know when are we gonna get grandchildren or like you know there's a lot of pressure not only from our family and um, from you know well-meaning friends and stuff it's the external pressures like societal pressures saying that you know you should do x y and z by a certain age so I just felt like this book really really resonated with me so thank you for writing it oh, well no thank you that's really lovely to hear thank you no, but thank you but yeah it is just all the all the kind of questions that me and Lydia have spoken about before about like motherhood and about choice and and all those all those gritty things so I'm sure we will we will speak about them in more depth throughout this episode because mm-hmm. <laughs> we it means a lot to both of us I know that so it really does it really does and I think I really love what you're talking about when you were you talking about about her role as a 
conservationist in terms of working in the conservation studios at the National Gallery and her, like you said peeling back the layers of the of the painting and in a way kind of discovering herself through the process of restoring or conserving this painting it was such a, a beautiful way to a way of, of exploring that so firstly why did you pick that painting in particular and what role do you think that the painting and art in particular plays in the novel? So I actually started off with her working on another painting. Initially, she was working on a portrait. And I think I naturally, I I think, you know, personally, I'm sort of drawn to portraits a lot in terms of how they make me feel, how they move me. And so that was where I went with it first. And then I started to, you know, write the scenes that take place in Norfolk, where her mum is based, where Kathy's mum, Jamie, is based. And I wrote about the scene and I was writing about the beach and then I wrote one particular scene I'm gonna have to be careful here in terms of spoilers (laughs) I don't know so I I was writing I think I think it's gonna be fine I don't think this is a huge spoiler but I was writing one scene set in Norfolk where it's a sort of memory where she and her mother come across a beached whale in Norfolk and I was sort of researching you know um, sort of about whales but also whale strandings and things like this and then I discovered this painting of a seascape and it just it was one of those moments there are sometimes these moments when right when you're writing when things just sort of click and it's so satisfying when it happens and I don't think it happens hugely often or at least for me but when it does it's great and that was one of those moments so I immediately sort of got rid of this other portrait and and brought in this painting which is a is a, a real painting it hangs in the Fitzwilliam Museum in Cambridge actually and I kind of transported it to the National Gallery because I wanted Kathy to be in London and then the more I sort of read about the painting the more there were these overlaps with what was going in going on in Kathy's life yeah so the, so that's the painting and I think more broadly I mean the the book is so much about bodies and minds and the way that those those two things change over time. So in terms of the art in the book, I think, I mean, with wet paint, wet paint really grew out of art. It grew out of a painting, the Manet's Bar at the Folie Bergère, which he visits once a week. And it really all, it did begin with that as an image. I think with Second Self, it was slightly different in that the book began with a question. And then naturally, as I always do, I sort of thought about art as I was figuring out that question and looked at art as a way of figuring it out. And so, and and, you know, the more I did, the more I started to see these kind of the way that art was mirroring life and the way that paintings are subject to kind of societal expectations and forces as well. And the way that they also change over time and that they require care and they can deteriorate. So it just it just sort of fitted together so well. And I think another thing is I, you know, I feel like there's often this discussion or this question of whether you can make art, whether whether that is art or whether that's whether you can write or make music and also have a child, have children. You know, the creativity and motherhood often I think crop up and it and they're often kind of pitted against 
one another. And so I quite liked the idea of bringing those two topics together. I mean, obviously, the the state that Kathy is in, it, it's not motherhood, it's kind of almost motherhood. But yeah, it seemed kind of a fertile, fertile ground. That's an odd choice of fertile, but um, <laughs> you see what I mean? Yeah, you could see me and Lydia nodding our heads away when you were talking about <laughs> creating art and motherhood and how those things sort of fit or don't fit together because we're both actors so we (laughs) we totally understand (laughs) all the things that that throws up I wanted to just touch on on whilst we're talking about art and and the the sort of process of creating art or as Kathy does being a conservator that's the word okay so you know just being in that art world and obviously you yourself you know have studied art and you sort of review exhibitions and you spend a lot of time in those worlds I noticed something about your your style of writing when it comes to fiction and it's that it's it's very visual very visceral you can see the settings that they're walking through there's moments where they're walking you mentioned the beach before you know where they're walking on the beach and you talk about the way that the birds are flying and how they're looking at the birds and you describe people's appearances and how Kathy perceives other people around her and I just wondered if you sort of knew that the way in which your how your experience with art seeps into your writing style like is that a conscious thing is that something that you're aware of I think I think it happens very naturally and I think you know in the same way that my art writing seeps into my fiction I think again since writing fiction I think my art journalism that writing has also changed so it's quite nice actually the the kind of relationship between the two I think I have always been a very visual person and so you know the way that Kathy looks at the world and also to to an extent the way that Eve Eve looks at the world because she also is constantly like cataloging and observing and and obviously for her it's sort of a form of distraction she she would rather go around thinking about you know other people's lives and how other people are appearing um, than her own but yeah I think I think the way that they both are and the way they both look at the world is is to an extent the way that I look at the world and yeah I mean it's it's funny because I before I really settled on writing about art in a kind of journalistic sense I tried quite hard to move away from it I sort of thought no you know this is too niche I need to write about more things I should write about you know I should do travel writing and I should write about food and drink and and all this stuff and I would find myself smuggling art into everything I wrote <laughs> to the extent that I think my editors got quite fed up with it like oh god not another why are we talking about paintings this is not relevant so I do think it is just so a part of me at this point and you know that's not to say that art is always going to be a part of my novels but I do think that that's kind of visual way of looking at the world probably will be and I think as well for me it brings such a like an extra dimension to the novel being able to really immerse yourself in a visual world to me it's just as essential as learning about the characters and the narrative but there is this extra element on top of it where it's just it's just feels so vivid to be in that world with them and I think that so effective because when you finish like I was seeing that painting in my head all of the time (laughs) oh that's so great to hear (laughs) and at every stage every stage because we uncovered different elements of it I'm like oh it's changing and it looks like this now and it was such a wonderful 
kind of experience to go along with the alongside you know Kathy's journey itself so yeah so please keep the art in the books please <laughs> don't <laughs> stray away because this is what we love about your writing um, okay I will I, yeah. I'll do it just just for you <laughs> that's an order so there's no choice now <laughs> But I really wanted to ask, because this is such a a novel about choice, and particularly in relation to motherhood and pregnancy, but it also explores kind of the more ambiguous areas that can cause us to doubt our choices or even change choices that we thought we were completely, you know, set on and being able to kind of reflect on our choices and think, okay, well, you know, can they change? If they do change, what effects will that have around me? We see so much pressure, particularly on women, to make these kind of life-changing or life-altering decisions. And it's interesting to see Kathy explore some of those. What do you think it is, and this is quite a big question, so don't panic, but what do you think it is about life's choices, life's choices for women particularly, that makes such compelling reading? Oh, that is a big question. I mean, with this particular question, the, you know, the choice of whether or not to have a child, which then also I think important to remember you know starts off as a seemingly very simple yes or no but then can sort of splinter into so many more questions and choices and paths so okay is the answer yes is it possible like what in which way are you going to have a child if it's not the the obvious natural way so that's one thing I think that it's just it's so much more complicated than at first it seems it you know we talk about choices and decisions as if there's one thing or another and then great you know boom you've made your choice and on you go and this isn't like that I think because as I say if, if the answer yes that happens if the answer is no you then probably have however many years of listening to people say oh well you know just you wait like in a few years you'll change your mind just wait till the longing hits and it doesn't you're not closing the door on it by by making a choice I guess is what I'm trying to say and I think also with this particular choice of whether or not to have a child it's just it's something that you know I I guess in a way I can only speak for myself but I suppose some people know very early on they want what they don't want for others it really is it can be something that changes over time that was something that I kind of really wanted to explore with with the book this idea that we are allowed to change our minds and that it's natural to change our minds and but also how difficult that is when you're sort of part of a, a couple a partnership and you're not changing together and then is that a betrayal or is that sort of to be expected in life that you're not always going to I don't know feel the same way about things I feel like I'm really doing a dance around your question by asking loads of other questions <laughs> but but I, I think that is the only way to answer this question there is yeah. no answer whatsoever <laughs> yeah but I you know I think it's also you know, like Hannah said at the very start I think it's relatable because I think it's something that a certain point in our lives so many of us are going to think about and not just women you know all of us but it's particularly kind of tricky for a woman because there's also the biological hate um the way it's described as that kind of biological clock but it is it is that and and there's sort of only a finite amount of time that you have to make your decision which I guess is 
where you know things like egg freezing come come into it which is a whole nother kind of ball game but yeah I hope I've sort of as well as twirling around the question vaguely answered it <laughs> I will say that is a satisfactory answer yes <laughs> okay good <laughs> <laughs> I have a quote so this is on the topic of what we've just been talking about but I feel like just to give our listeners a, a real sense of the novel I feel like this quote would, would be perfect for what we were just talking about so I hope you don't mind me reading your own book back to you no I'd love it it is a small quote so it's Noah and Kathy having a conversation and I think it's in relation to somebody has just asked them about whether they might ever change their minds and I think Kathy's kind of at this point where she's sort of she's realized that so hard not to give spoilers She's, it is really hard isn't it? it is it is she's she's just kind of at this what we were speaking about they made this choice you know several years ago and she was so sure of it and now she's kind of not sure whether she's she's sort of unsure about that initial decision making <laughs> describing it so well so here's the quote I'll be quiet he shook his head I know it's not the same me saying I don't want children and you saying you don't want children it should be but it's not and for that I'm sorry He was right, of course. If a man doesn't have a child, people don't think of his life as incomplete. They don't assume he's harboring some innate longing or talk of of regret and backup plans and a lack of meaning. His happiness isn't bound up in family. There's no social obligation. And I just thought like that articulates it so perfectly how it feels that the pressure is so much on the woman and it creates such an uneven dynamic in in relationships that it feels like the woman is the one that is sort of having to having to make the choice and you know if if she does want a baby but the partner doesn't then kind of what does she do with that and if she doesn't want a child but a partner does what do you do with that and it's just this sort of really confusing back and forth that I never kind of considered until you know I read I read your book and I don't think this kind of narrative has been has been like represented in in literature before and I just found it so interesting but I also wanted to talk about the the epigraph am I right in that is that how you say Mm -hmm. it Um, and it's the the Adrian Rich quote where she says the body has been made so problematic for women that it's often seemed easier to shrug it off and travel as a disembodied spirit and I just thought those two quotes together are just perfect And it sort of leads into a question I wanted to ask about how deeply detailed this reading experience was in terms of the female body and the way that you explore the female body and the sort of the things that we don't see represented as much, you know, things like you were saying about egg freezing, abortion, miscarriage, periods even, you know, all these sort of topics that are sometimes taboo and aren't sort of brought to the forefront and also aren't necessarily conversations that people might have in their relationships and things like that and I just love the idea of thinking of the body as a disembodied spirit especially when it comes to women and how women's bodies have been perceived as problematic and also you wrote in your blurb of the book about the body being at the mercy of natural forces which is also great I'm rambling because there's so many quotes that are coming to mind this is nice you can just you know keep it coming (laughs) (laughs) but I wanted to ask what do you think draws you to exploring the female body in the way that you do and the sort of level of detail tell that you have with second self I mean I think first of all just living in a female body experiencing the world in one you know stuff like period it's 
so every day I mean it's not every day thank god (laughs) but you know what I mean it's so ordinary and I really love to read and to write sort of fiction that deals with really the little moments in a life as well as the big moments in a life and something like having a period to me sort of falls into that category of the little moments in the same way that I don't know making lunch might obviously sort of as we touched we touched on earlier the there is I mean it's I think the first page it's when Kathy gets her period or her period is late sorry and she is worrying because she's not panicking and so it is an ordinary thing but it can also so easily kind of flip into a very big thing by being absent or on the other hand if you think you're pregnant and then suddenly it appears do you see what I mean so it's sort of so ordinary but also can have such an impact on on that day and on you as a person I think you know the body is something I think that that wet paint and second self are quite different books in a lot of ways particularly the tone but I think that the body is a theme that's kind of constant across both so in wet paint Eve is a life model and she's thinking a lot about the way that you know or if or maybe she's not thinking but book itself is is sort of exploring a lot the difference and the kind of disconnect between the way that we feel and the way that we appear and dealing with the ways in which bodies are on display and bodies are looked at, particularly female bodies being looked at by men. And with with Second Self, I suppose it's sort of getting into the nitty gritty of existing within a female body and the way that it changes over time, as you said, the way that it's kind of subject to natural forces. I, I don't think I will ever get bored of writing about the body and particularly the female body. And it's something that I kind of endlessly fascinated by in art as well. So yeah, I think we'll see maybe that will also be something like art that will always crop up I also just want to say just thinking back to what you said before I feel the need to say that I'm almost almost like I'm defending him like he's my friend but I think it's easy to you know until you've once you've read the book I think it will become clear for read uh, for listeners you know Noah's not a bad guy Noah is a wonderful loving kind endlessly patient man and there are very legitimate reasons why he won't budge on his standpoint you know why why he is is not willing to have a child with Kathy however much he loves her and that's the the kind of mad difficult thing about this is that there is no compromise if one of you wants a child and one doesn't that there's no middle ground there you can't have half a child (laughs) I mean that would be weird and messy and but yeah I just sort of felt a need to sort of do a quick yay Noah no I I love Noah I love him I know (laughs) Lydia does so (laughs) oh my gosh there is for those listening there is a there is a something that Kathy has to do and it's not a pleasant thing that she has to do and it's it was really quite frightening in a way that she has to do by herself and despite everything going on despite it just being the hardest thing ever Noah is still there to to help and I think that says more about his character than anything else in the novel for me that act of kindness the act of love in just being able to be there for him when you read it you'll know what I'm talking about but just being there was just honestly it made I'm like emotional talking about it because it, it really is 
so moving and Noah and Kathy are just such a beautiful embodiment of love I, I think it's a, a perfect example of you can love someone with every iota of your being but you can disagree and that sometimes it's about okay well now we are different people because I know that Noah and Kathy they sort of grow together they've been together married for eight years together for 10 they grow together and they change together but they're not necessarily ending up in the same place and it's such a fascinating dynamic what was it like for you as a writer to kind of create that dynamic and explore it I loved spending time with them you know with wet paint I was so in Eve's head and experiencing life as Eve which is kind of great and fun and stressful and sad and all the emotions and I loved spending time with her but I also really appreciated just being a part of a kind of a stable loving supportive marriage (laughs) sounds so weird actually I'm just sort of hearing myself say it sounds like I'm some weird interloper who's sort of inserted myself into their house, into their flat. Anyway, so I, I, yeah, I really loved, yeah, spending time with them on the page. And it was really important to me that, you know, just to show the love that was there between them. And as I said, there was no one kind of quote unquote bad guy in this situation because there isn't really like that no one is doing something when two people disagree or or have different opinions or or start to at least wonder whether they want different things it's not it's not because one of them is a bad person or they are doing it because they want out of the relationship or you know Cassie, to begin with, tries to tell herself that she hopes that she can't have children because then her marriage is safe. And that that's how much she loves him and how much she cherishes what they have. She she sort of, in a way, would rather that having children wasn't a possibility because then, then that's that. And then she doesn't have to grapple with this little question mark that has sort of emerged in her mind and that she can't quite get rid of. Yeah, I think one of the things that you just made me think of that I really loved with the way that you explored their their relationship and their dynamic, I think there's a moment quite early on in the book, and I remember writing the quote down on my phone, but I'm not going to go looking for it, but I know it was something around, I think... Kathy says something about they can afford they could afford to be selfish and it infuriated me that it has to be perceived in that way and that the sort of validity of a relationship that doesn't include children you know she also says something about somebody saying oh do you want to start a family and she says you know as as starting a family as though we aren't already one and you know that whole calling into question that a relation isn't valid a re- relationship isn't valid because they don't have children and therefore that doesn't equal a family and you know they must be they mustn't be whole because they're without those children and I just thought you know you brought so many interesting questions to the surface with their relationship and I feel like this book is going to start so many great conversations like I really want everyone to read it because I'm like just everyone needs to speak about these subjects and like understand how like frustrating so many of the topics are and so again thank you no no thank you that is the kindest thing someone can say so 
Thank you. Yeah, I hope I hope it does. I mean, I hope that it is relatable and that I don't know, you know, it's so difficult. Everything around motherhood and this stage that is sort of almost motherhood, I think it's so easy to say the wrong thing, isn't it? Whether you don't want children and you're and as you say, you're sort of dealing with questions and, and assumptions that that isn't a sort of fixed position, that that's a position that's going to change or whether you are trying and it's not happening and and, it, and it's hard and it's sad and you're seeing sort of pregnancy and babies around you or you're you're pregnant and you're uncomfortable or you are you have a small child and you're stuck at home I think with this whole thing it's such a minefield in a way and I you know I've felt it myself and with my friends I think sometimes it can be so tricky that it's easier to kind of retreat inwards and not talk about it and actually we are all so much better off or would be so much better off talking openly and just kind of you know with as much empathy as possible but yeah they they definitely do sort of bear the brunt of some kind of uh, comments that are uh, often sort of said in a well-meaning way but there's a lack of understanding there I wanted to ask a question about the friendship between Kathy and Anna because I love their friendship and and I love reading books that explore like the power of female friendship because I think it is so much more intimate than a male male on male friendships <laughs> is how you would describe it it sounds like um, that yeah. was a good description <laughs> <laughs> but it's it feels so much more intimate and that we we really understand each other and that's the only word I can think of to describe it is that it is intimate and I think with what you were saying about trying to navigate those those conversations those more difficult conversations and you know if you're like I don't have children yeah and but I have friends that do have children and it's you know the the understanding between the two friends and you know sometimes you're going to get frustrated with each other for the fact that one of you doesn't understand what it's like to have children and then the other one of you would get frustrated that they're not seeing the validity of your life because you don't have children and you know there's this this is all these sort of complicated nuanced situations that we definitely see through through Anna and Kathy and and I was really curious why did you want to write that more like complicated side of things you know because there are moments in the book where without giving any spoilers you know they maybe don't impart information that you would expect to share with your best friend and you know the sort of navigating the secrets navigating secrets and you know things that feel uncomfortable to share because of the other person's current situation so yeah why did you want to explore you know the more complicated side of female friendship I think I mean I again I sort of I always I I love to read about female friendship and to write about it as well and I think yeah they do they really do have a friendship that is so intimate and tender and you know they've known each other for years and kind of grown up together Noah used to date Anna before he got together with Kathy which sort of sounds strange but works it worked out you know in the best possible way I think I wanted Anna there to show another side so there there are two two I guess I mean Anna is a sort of a real key friendship within the book and then there's also a kind of unlikely or or surprising friendship that Kathy strikes up with a woman called Robin who she meets 
when she starts kind of looking into fertility. And I just wanted to show with these other women to sort of show women who are at the same age, but in a very different place in terms of fertility and, and motherhood. And so Kathy isn't sure what she wants, but this question has has sort of arisen. Anna has a baby, a very sweet little baby, <laughs> who was quite fun to write himself and desperately wants a second. And then there's Robin who is single and so certain that she wants a child and so decides to go down the egg freezing route. And it's really difficult to navigate because, I mean, Kathy sort of, she does exactly what I've sort of just said that we shouldn't do. She does retreat inwards and she feels like she can't be honest about how she's feeling with Anna for fear of sort of Anna thinking she's selfish if she so desperately wants a child here Kathy is sort of umming and eyeing and kind of in in the same way then with Robin Robin doesn't have a partner she would love that stability she also is very much ready to have a baby and Kathy is here with a husband and a, a kind of a stable home setup again I'm kind of trying to be careful of giving spoilers it's not like this is a twisty book with secrets but there still are things that I feel I shouldn't say (laughs) Um, but yeah it's I I just wanted to I suppose explore those kind of rifts that can come up the kind of chasms that can just emerge at this stage of life where we have all sort of Anna and Kathy are a a great example because they've known each other for so long you sort of grow up and you're sort of vaguely doing the same things all the time up until this point even if you're you know your careers go in different directions and someone gets married someone doesn't but but I think the thing that really creates a big difference in terms of day-to-day life and the way that you live your life and things like that is is having a child and so yeah it's it's a time in our life where everything is quite uncertain and I think that if that doesn't convince you to read the book I don't know what will (laughs) (laughs) because it, it, it is genuinely one of those things where I think that if this was a book club book and you're all sat around every single person would have got something different from it it's not it you know there is no kind of universal takeaway from this because everybody has a different experience I mean me and Hannah were vastly had vastly different experiences you know I'm a mum she's not we've got you know we have completely different worldviews in terms of you know our ex our lived experience and yet it was profoundly affecting for both of us mm-hmm. and I, I literally I can't recommend this enough to people at any stage of your life just to give it a read and just to experience it because it is actually just incredible it really is thank you so much Lydia I'm so glad to hear that and and you know also like beyond the baby question the baby decision decisions are hard like no matter what they are I am terrible at making the most simple of decisions so also even if you know clearly that's what the crux of the book is about the the whether or not to have children but also I think just like grappling with making a choice yeah um, you know where to live who to be with if you want to be with someone what to what to do professionally what to wear in the morning <laughs> you know isn't it just I mean it's the, it, it is a celebration of this of the, both the huge decisions and the the very small ones that we all have to deal with and it's just absolutely it is incredible before we let you go we absolutely I mean this is essential I need to get some good book recommendations off you 
<laughs> so if you've got any good Ooh. book recommendations that you've read recently or some of your all-time faves please give us the knowledge yes okay so I'm sort of looking around at my shelves at what I've read recently well this is another art book <laughs> that I have just read another brilliant non-fiction book it's called Thunderclap and it's by Laura Cumming who is the chief art critic for The Observer and this is a it's, it's sort of part memoir about her father who was an artist and it's also about her love of Dutch 17th century art again vaguely linked because we have um, the Dutch artist <laughs> uh, second self but it but it's wonderful um, she writes beautifully her visual analysis is I think second to none so so I would really recommend that. Novels, fiction, fiction, I'm looking at my pile. I read fairly recently and loved The Anniversary by Stephanie Bishop, who I'm actually doing an event with in the second week of July. It's a fantastic novel and sort of the story is brilliant and so crisp and kind of almost thriller-like, but it's also a really great book about the creative process and about writing so that I would recommend too and actually now I've just remembered one other because I'm also doing an event with this author it's a book called Okay Days by Jenny Mustard and it is it sort of has a bit of crossover actually in terms of well one of the it is sort of not the central conceit of the novel but the book follows Sam and Luke who sort of meet and it's a kind of will they won't they situation um it kind of reminded me of one day in a way but one of them doesn't want children the other one is sort of less clear but it's just she writes so well about kind of you know human emotion and it's great I've I'm sort of I feel like I'm running out of words but it but it's brilliant and I would recommend that too <laughs> so many good recommendations I um need to get to all of those now I'm very sad that it's come to the end of the time because I hadn't actually realised until Lydia said I was just, you know, in my own I little happy see, bubble. You'd gone, you'd gone <laughs> to Hannah Land. She, had... she gets too involved. She gets too excited. And then I have to, I have to remind her. Pull the plug. The Pull the plug. She has to. <laughs> now, and the killjoy. Before we, before we let you go, what is next for you? Because I finished wet paint, I finished second self. So yeah, I know that you just releasing this, but I need to know, is there something else coming? What's... Well, so I am working on a third novel, but it's very early days. So it may be a, a little bit of a longer wait. This was quite a quick turnaround. I mean, I actually wrote Second Self before Wet Paint came out because there was such a big gap between Wet Paint being bought and published. And, you know, also it was lockdown and I had no one to see and my freelance work dried up. So I thought, OK, I need to get, do something productive. <laughs> but there is, an, there is a, a third novel that I am, yeah, working on I say working on I am working on it but it's early days but in the meantime I will be continuing to write you know my art exhibition reviews and artist interviews and stuff as well so that might have to keep you going in the meantime I'll, I'll live I'm sure I will, I will wait I'm sure it'll be very much worth the wait Chloe this has been so wonderful thank you so much for for coming on a pair of bookends and for just this wonderful chat that I feel like we'll we'll have a lot of our female listeners being like yes (laughs) (laughs) hopefully hopefully male listeners you know actually taking something from this because you know it needs to be a wider conversation 
I'm talking with my hands again. Where can our listeners find you on social media? I am on Twitter and Instagram at Chloe L. Ashby. I am not on TikTok because I am a grandma. I have a website as well, which is just chloeashby.com. But yeah. Amazing. So listeners, go give Chloe a follow. Go buy Second Self which is out in July. I demand that you buy yourself a copy (laughs) and also get yourselves a copy of Wet Paint, which is out now in paperback, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, I will pop a link to both those in the show notes. And if you would also like to give us a follow, you can do so at A Pair of Bookends Pod on Instagram and at A Pair of Bookends on Twitter and TikTok. I am also a grandma trying to navigate TikTok. (laughs) It's a disaster, but we're trying it anyway. Um, (laughs) It's a whole thing. And if you enjoyed this episode, of course, please do rate, review and subscribe as it helps us to reach more listeners. And it also helps us to get to chat to even more amazing authors like Chloe. So yeah, thank you so much, Chloe. I've I've thank loved you. having you on and I'm going to be thinking about your book forever. So thank you for writing <laughs> oh, it. <laughs> thank you both so much. It's been a total pleasure to chat with you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Bye.